Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cacciolillo, and today we have John Russell, professional psychic medium, paranormal investigator, and avid motorcyclist. Thanks for coming on the show today. Uh, Gary, I appreciate you having me. It's an honor to be here. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. So we have quite a bit to cover. All right. Which came first, psychic, paranormal investigator, or motorcycles? Actually, psychic came first. I had, uh, when I was about five years old, I was awakened by a spirit. And uh, this is in, uh, I write about this occasion in my second book, which is going to be coming out shortly. And uh, this spirit scared the death out of me. (laughs) And then subsequently, that event opened up the portal to not only the paranormal experiences that I've had, and I've had well over 800 paranormal experiences, but that also opened up my psychic gift, my psychic talent. I became aware of that roughly about the same time. And then uh, about, uh, about the age of 10 or 12, somewhere around in there, I began the paranormal uh, investigator aspect of things. I, I studied everything I could get my hands on, read everything I could get my hands on, and I begin to investigate, uh, even at that young age, the claims uh, that people were making for their psychic abilities or for various paranormal activity or whatever, uh, to see what was real and what wasn't. And then around the age of 15, that's when I got my first motorcycle, fell in love with two wheels, <laughs> and I've been riding ever since. That's crazy. Um so how did you discover your psychic gifts? Was it something that you were born with as a child? You know, how, how did it happen? Yeah, it's, it's something I was born with. And like I said, the visitation activated it. And the way that I became aware it was active was I was out in the backyard playing and a car pulled into the driveway. And I didn't know the people. I didn't recognize the car, didn't recognize the people. So I ran inside, got my mom and dad. They came out. I thought, oh, that's some friends of ours. Oh, okay. So they came over and they were all standing outside talking and uh, I was standing there (laughs) eavesdropping, playing with whatever toy I had at the time. And I looked at the the people and I said, uh, you've just been on vacation. And I described to them the hotel they stayed at, how many stories it had, the color it was painted, what it looked like, the trees out front, the pool area in the back and what color that was and so on and so forth. And I said, and you took that car, the car that's in the driveway now. And I said, you don't have kids with you today, but you took two kids with you when you went on the vacation. And they stood there and stared at me like I had cobras coming out of my nose. And uh, the uh, the man was just, just speechless, literally just gobsmacked. And his wife was literally wide-eyed, bug-eyed staring at me with this mixture of, of fear and amazement and everything else. And she said, how in the world could he possibly know that talking to my parents, how could he possibly know that? And uh, my mom just kind of said something to the order of, well, you know, kids, they have an imagination. Let me, she said, no, she said, 
we were coming over today to tell you about the vacation that we just took. That's what we were coming to tell you today. It was how much we enjoyed this vacation. And you didn't know that we were going to go on this vacation. There's no way he could have known this. And we took that car. We took our kids with us. The kids obviously aren't with us today, but we, we took the kids with us. And the hotel looked exactly like John said. And she just kept staring at me, her eyes getting bigger and bigger. And she goes, how in the world could he possibly have known that? How is that possible? And my mother and my father were like, hush, John, go play. And they left it at that. And they ended it that way. And I, nice to meet you folks. And I took my toy and went off and continued my play. And uh, that was when I became aware that I could uh, see into people's lives, uh, see where they had been. Then I learned from that I could predict their futures accurately, tell what was going to happen to them, and uh, give them time frames for that. And uh, that did begin to grow from there. And I guess I was a pretty creepy little guy because uh, my, my uh, parents' friends never came to visit them again after that episode. <laughs> they, they stayed away. So that was how I discovered the psychic aspect of it. So how do you receive the information? Is it like clairvoyance, clairaudience? Or well, all of cognitive? it. It comes in a variety of ways. Uh, sometimes I see it. Sometimes I hear it. Sometimes it's, it's a feeling. But the, uh, and it's an inaccurate way uh, to try and describe it at, at the very, very best, mm -hmm. I can tell you, and it's not going to be exactly it. You would just have to be me to, to really get the sense of it, the true sense of it. But the best way I can describe it, like when I'm telling somebody something like that, or I'm doing a reading for somebody, and, uh, and I predict things for their future, or I tell them about insights that I have into their life about their past or what's going on right now. Uh, the best way I can describe that is it comes to me with the certainty that's an absolute knowing. And it's like, if you, if you learn that two plus two is four, that's something that's constant. You can go anywhere in the world and two plus two is four. And that's an absolute fact and it works anywhere. And when I get these knowings, these impressions, these visions, these things that come to me, they're dropped into my head with the same certainty as if they were a fact that I had already learned, as mm -hmm. if they were two plus two equals four and I already knew that. And they come to me with that certainty, that knowing, and it just drops in as, as a fact like I've, I've already known it or have always known it. And no psychic on the planet is 100% accurate. Right. Just doesn't happen. It's, it just doesn't happen. But I've had my clients have told me over the years, I've read professionally, since I was 18 and I'm 66 now. So I've been in the game a while. And my clients have told me over the years that my predictions are about 80 to 90% accurate. So that's, that's a pretty amazing thing. But in that you have to realize that if let's say I am 90% accurate, that means that of nine out of 10 things, that 10 thing is going to fall through the cracks and mm -hmm. it can be a pretty big thing. That 10th thing. <laughs> um, but when I tell clients something that, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt is real or that the insight is correct or that it's going to help them or that the prediction is going to be accurate. It comes to me as an absolute knowing. And when I get it that way, that I'll stand on that. I'll tell them, Hey, you can take this one to the bank. Now, if I have a little waffle about it, or I have a little leeway about the feeling, I'll tell them that. But uh, when it drops in with that certainty, that absolute knowing, I tell them, Hey, you can take this one to the bank. This is how it's going to turn out. And I've had people argue with me. Oh, no, no, that can't be, that can't happen. I'll say, write it down and then holler back at me in a few months. 
And every time they've come back to me and said, man, it happened just like you said it would. And uh, some people are happy to, um, to see that occur. And some people are not happy to see that occur. You know, it depends on what they were told at the time. So, um, so how do you, like when, when this happens, um, is it instantaneous or do you have to like sit down and kind of put yourself in a meditative state? And where do you think the information comes from? Does it come from like Akashic records? Do it come from um, spirit guides or does it come from God? Good question. Good question. Um, I don't really have to put myself in any kind of a specific state to receive the information. Um, I'm always on uh, 24 seven. I'm always on. And I tell people I could sit down in the middle of the Brooklyn Bridge during rush hour and give them give them an accurate reading without being distracted or disturbed. And uh, the information is always there. And, and where I think the information comes from, uh, I, I think a wide range of sources, but primarily my concept is that the powers that be, that I call them my guys, all the spirits on the other side that mm-hmm. protect me, watch over me, assist me, and help me. I think that they get uh, that information from a wide variety of sources, and then they transmit that to me. So it, it comes from a wide range, wide spectrum. Uh, but by the time it gets to me, it's funneled down. It's, it's kind of very narrow and uh, comes to me through, uh, I'll, for convenience, I'll call them spirit guides, uh-huh. uh, a, from entities that I am familiar with and know are trustworthy and know deliver accurate information to me. So how does this work like in daily life? Like with that type of psychic sense, you must really trust your own gut feelings or or, or like when it comes to like making a decision, like you must hear it loud and clear, like what it is you're supposed to be doing, what it is you're supposed to not be doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And psychics that say they can read for others, but they can't read for themselves. I believe that's because they just don't want to hear what they're going to be told. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we're, we're human like everybody else. And I may want to hear, Oh, your, your health is perfect. And you're going to win the lottery and everything's going to be great. <laughs> you know, like everybody does. Right. But the, uh, you know, what we have to do is be able to be prepared for and accept and act on uh, the truth. Mm-hmm. And uh, the voices do come through to me very, very clearly. Sometimes it's not what I want to hear, not what I expected to hear, uh, but they do speak very clearly to me. And, and many times it has literally uh, been life-saving. In, uh, in the book, Writing with Ghost Angels and the Spirits of the Dead, my first book, right. uh, I write about this instance where I was, um, I had scheduled myself a day off from my clients and I was riding uh, one of the interstates here in Florida and uh, I have, you know, like I said, I've been riding since I was 15 and uh, I'm skilled on a motorcycle. I can handle a motorcycle at extremely high speeds and, and so on and so forth. But uh, this day I had scheduled myself a day off and it was just a pleasant day for me. And, and I was just lollygagging mm-hmm. in the right lane on the interstate going 70. Uh, which is the posted speed limit. Now, nobody in Florida goes the posted speed limit. You understand? I, I know like, that. <laughs> yeah, I was I was in the right lane going 70 little old ladies on tricycles for passing me. So, uh, you know, the, the middle lane is uh, 80 to 90 plus, And the left lane is where people are training for the next Daytona 500. 
So I was in the right lane, just lollygagging along at 70, and I was happy, and I was looking at the, the farmland and the ranches and the scenery, and I was just having a grand time. It was a beautiful day, blue sky, sunshine, temperature was nice. And this uh, audible voice in my head said, move into the left lane. And I was like, oh, man, and, and as this occurs, it's going to take a lot longer to tell you about it than how long it took to actually occur. But as uh, as the voice said that to me, I'm like, oh, man, what, guys, what? I don't want to move in the left lane. I'm going to have to, you know, ride like a maniac to get over there. And uh, then I'm going to be cruising along at a speed that I don't want to because I'm just wanting to lollygag today and enjoy the scenery. And while I'm making that argument to the guys, which I know better than to do, this time they literally called me by name and said, John, move into the left lane now. So I was like, okay, I know better than to argue with this. So downshift, upshift, throttle on, throttle off, brakes on, brakes off, <laughs> lean, lean, bob weave. And I finally, pissing several people off, these damn bikers, I finally get over in the left lane. And so I'm having to travel at a rate of speed that's higher than I want to be because I want to just lollygag and look at the scenery. Uh, that's well below my, my uh, top end riding speed and my, my bike handling capabilities, but it's just not what I wanted. And I'm like, guys, what in the world? Why? And as I say that, I rolled through this wreck as it's happening in the right lane where I was just a few seconds before. Mm -hmm. This guy's car is spinning around and spins backward facing the wrong way on the interstate. And as he's spinning, I'm looking over and our eyes actually make contact as he's spinning in his car and he's all wide-eyed and, and panicked. And detritus from the wreck is already bouncing and rolling across the road like shrapnel. And the cars are beginning to take their own evasive action and everything. And I was like, my God, if I hadn't listened and moved I would have hit the guy and about 10 people would have hit me and I wouldn't be here telling you the story. Right now. Wow. So the, uh, you know, the voices, uh, will speak to us mm -hmm. and will help us if we'll listen. And not only do we have to listen, then we have to act on what we're told because right. if I'd have said, yeah, guys, I hear you, but, and I'd argued with them and I said, I just want to stay over here and lollygag. I wouldn't be here right now. So, uh, so they do speak very loudly to me, very clearly to me. Um, and then there have been occasions in my life that after the fact of the protection that they've given me, I would find out what they had done and in great detail and great depth, how miraculous and how fantastic and marvelous it was uh, them doing these things behind the scene that I wasn't even aware of at the time. Wow. And uh, it's, it's really a beautiful thing. It's a marvelous thing. So do you think everybody has psychic abilities um, or, um, is it just something that certain people are born with or is this something that everybody can develop? Everybody has psychic abilities to a degree. Now, when I say to a degree, I might sit down at the piano and learn to play chopsticks. Um, Horowitz is going to sit down at the piano and make us all weep with his magnificent artistry and his great talent. So, it's the same way with psychic gifts. Some people will develop enough to, oh, I should go here today, or I shouldn't go there today, or the phone's ringing, that's Uncle Jeff, or whatever, and that's about as far as it gets. And then some people develop like I do to where I've had 
literally eight, over 800 paranormal manifestations in my life. These actually occur on the physical realm. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they've been witnessed by other people. We've photographed them. We've videoed them. We've uh, audio recorded them. And I've had this extreme accuracy with my gift for people over the years that not many people reach that plateau. But whatever degree of gift that you do have, it's absolutely mm -hmm. trainable because I spent uh, all the formative years of my life studying everything that I could get my hands on and then trying it out to see if it was workable or not. Right. And uh, so, yeah, it absolutely can be trained. We absolutely do all have it. But at some point, most people are going to reach a, a stopping point with it. And that's as far as I go. But for whatever, you know, plateau that is, we should all try and uh, train ourselves for that yeah. and reach that so that we get the maximum help from the other side that we can. That makes a lot of sense. Like I've probably interviewed now, I don't know, maybe 50 psychics. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, and I've interviewed a, only really one that's like your age. He's been doing it as long as you. And he's incredibly accurate. I mean, he, he just is mind blowing. Yeah. Because he did a, uh, a reading for my wife, and, mm -hmm. and he was so spot on that. Right. You know, it, it was unquestionable. And then I've had other ones that were like, I guess they were sort of like noobs, you know, they read a couple mm -hmm. books on it, did some workshops and yeah. stuff like yeah. that, you know. And um, I'm not going to say that they weren't correct, but uh, it was sort of like fringy, you know, it was like they were just like yeah. um, pulling some scattered Very information and, yeah. and, and trying to put it in a way that makes sense, mm -hmm. hoping for the best. Right. Right. A lot of, a lot of psychics so-called uh, do that. And the way they've received their training or, or how they've come about exercising their supposed gift or whatever is they will have read a few books on the tarot and a few books on developing That's psychic abilities. <laughs> And then, yeah, there you go. And then uh, they will apply the book meanings to things, mm -hmm. you know, thinking they're, that they're being accurate or, or whatever, this and the other. And that's not true. You have to learn that once you learn the basic patterns of things or the basic interpretations or meanings of things, uh, you also learn that they don't always apply that way. Right. And one great example of that, when I was 18 years old and I started reading professionally, I had people that would drive 200 miles one way to get a reading with me. And uh, these these <laughs> ladies came in and I, I always utilized the tarot. I've loved the tarot ever since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And too. I've always utilized the tarot. And uh, the very first card that came up was the death card. Mm -hmm. And both of the ladies at the same time went, ah, <laughs> like that. <laughs> and I was like, what, what, what? And they go, oh, my God, that's one of the questions we came here to ask about today. Some relative they had was very sick, and I may have even been in the hospital. Mm -hmm. I don't remember now. But that was one of the things they were coming to ask about was their health prospects. Uh -huh. And here comes the death card for the first rattle out of the box. And I was like, no, 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 no. This does not mean a literal death in this case. This right. is not this person dying. This is like a transformation of letting go old things dying off, new things coming in. It doesn't even relate to this person. So those are the things that you have to learn uh, as you develop a gift is that, you know, sometimes the death card does mean a literal death. 
Other times it means some type of transformation or letting go or whatever. And then there are other uh, definitions that you can uh, can ascribe that, to it. That, that's where intuition comes into play, I that's think. Exactly with, right. Especially and, with, with tarot, sometimes like well, what 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 symbol on the card pops out at that time? Right. right. You know, and, and other times is sometimes is it's actually like even more subtle sometimes for me. Mm-hmm. But um, I had was doing an interview, I guess about a month ago now with Mary Kay Greer, the, the author, she wrote a bunch of books on, on tarot. She was like one of the first people I read when I was a kid and I was interviewing her and uh, she was telling me about a reading she did with the, uh, what came up was the, uh, the fool, the emperor and, and death. Right. And, you know, she tried to figure out what it meant and, and somehow she thought it had something to do with politics as soon as we got done with the interview, I get a message from her, a text message. She goes, turn on your TV. And I turned on all my TV, and that's when all those people were raiding the Capitol and the five people died. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. I've had uh, one real funny incident happen one time. I'm rarely, rarely, rarely ever stuck for an interpretation. Um, and I can read anybody. I've never been able to – I've always been able to read uh, anybody. I've, I've never – not been able to read anyone mm-hmm. and i'm very very seldom stuck for any kind of interpretation or meaning or whatever but i remember this one time i had a uh, a friend and i was doing a reading for and in this particular tarot deck i was using uh the one of the cards that came up the character in the card had on this uh, helmet with horns on it kind of like a viking helmet mm-hmm. And I looked at that and I looked at that and I looked at that and I said, you know, there's something here I just can't get. There's something here that's freaking me out. I said, this this card represents this guy. She was dating this guy. And I said, this card represents this guy. But I said, there's something here I just can't get. I said, he's wearing this helmet with horns, but the horns look like teeth to me. And she started laughing and I said, what? What is the deal? She goes, he's a dentist. <laughs> 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 and that was one one time I didn't get it, but you know the the clarification, the interpretation was immediately there, immediately available. Uh, so that's, uh, but it's it's really important to to not go by the book. You have to go by the book when you're learning, mm-hmm. just like in anything yeah. else. But it's important to learn to listen to your intuition, to listen to your guides, and uh, to uh, you know. And there are times after all these years of doing this that I will receive a, a piece of information or like use a, a particular deck or something and some wild off the wall interpretation or meaning will come to me that in your wildest imagination couldn't be assigned to that card mm-hmm. or that circumstance or whatever, then it'll be correct. So that's the importance of having a gift, knowing how to develop that gift. And uh, so that's why a lot of people fail. They, they read a book or two and think, Oh, I'm a psychic, you know, it's yeah. like, no, doesn't work like that. <laughs> It's like, like for, for me, I, I started reading tarot when I was young. I was like probably like 12 years old. Yeah, yeah. And, same um, year, yeah. But I never considered myself psychic, you know. I just mm-hmm. was like, I, I just read tarot cards because without them, nothing, you know. Yeah. And um, only well, like. you you may have to. Uh, you well, may have to kind of wean yourself away from that's the cards, what I've, That's so. what I've been doing a little bit. Yeah, I, I've been and trying allow some, yourself to develop that intuitive power without using the cards and mm-hmm. do that a little bit at a time and you'll find that 
Um, you'll find that you can do it without the cards. You may still want to use them down the road, but you'll find out you can, can get away from them. Right. Uh, I don't use them every single reading. And sometimes um, I'll lay them out and never look at them during the right. reading. But just by the virtue of them being there, that energy mm -hmm. there, and it's something like you, I started at a very young age. It's just something um, I got used to and sort of depended yeah, on. Yeah, and, and it's it's something I've always loved. I'm also a professional fine artist and photographer. So the imagery of the tarot has always just ignited me like nothing else. You know, it's so beautiful and so artistic and so mystical and everything. So I've always loved it. And uh, like I said, I don't have to use it, but I enjoy mm -hmm. using it. Yeah, and that's why I asked you about that voice because now that I've been trying to get away from the tarot and trying to just, right. you know, just it's really almost like just like listening, just stop and, and, and listen. Exactly. But 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 when I do that and, and there's really something that, that I have to know, it's like it's really clear. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and that's that brings up such a valid point. It's like we seek, we ask. <laughs> We pray, we affirm, we command, and we never stop and shut up and listen. You know, it's like the analogy I give people, and I put this in my latest book. I said, if you were at a party and, uh, and I was at the same party and you were across the room in a chair and I was clear across the room on the other side of the room in a chair and the party was full of people and everybody was gabbing and laughing and carrying on like they normally do, I could say something to you and you're not going to hear me. And I can mm -hmm. probably even yell and you're not going to hear me. But if everybody in the room gets quiet, I can suddenly speak to you across the room in a normal conversational tone and you're going to hear me. And it's like that with the other side. We want to receive communication from the other side. Well, to do that, you've got to hear. How do you hear? You turn off the cell phone. You turn off the music. You turn off the TV. You turn off the radio. You get away from the people around you and the noise around you, and you get into a quiet, contemplative, meditative state where it is actually quiet. And so many people seem to be scared of quiet nowadays. <laughs> but you get to where it's quiet, and then you listen. Yeah. And when you do that, then they can talk to you. It's like turning the party off so that the noise is gone, and then that voice can come to you. Mm -hmm. But it's uh, you know we. We keep ourselves so busy and so involved. And so, I mean, everybody you see nowadays, they're in a store doing a complicated transaction. They've got earbuds in, they're listening to music. They don't even look at the person that they're dealing with in the transaction. And it's like, we're bombarding ourselves with noise and music and our phones and this and that. And how's the other side gonna compete with that? How are they gonna get through? Now, occasionally they do. Uh, there have been phone calls from the dead. There have been text messages from the <laughs> dead, so on and so forth. But uh, the ideal is to put yourself in a state of receptivity uh, and to do that, get quiet and listen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and it, like, like for me, like, like I've always been okay with being quiet because I've always been a really big fan of meditation, yes. but, but I never used it for the purpose of, of psychic abilities, mm -hmm. but I have discovered like if, if I ask a question and I just kind of visualize it kind of, just floating out of the top of my head up into wherever. Right. And then I sit and I just take a couple breaths and sit still. I, I'll get an answer. And then I yes. start thinking like, well, is that my imagination? Am I freaking crazy? What the hell's <laughs> going on here? <laughs> That's one of the things that we have to do. We have to practice enough so that we recognize the voice when it comes to us that leads us and guides us. And we have to learn to recognize that voice as the truth. And uh, we have to get away from 
our desires, what we hope to hear, what we want to hear, and accept the truth that that voice brings us. And um, one of the things that hampers us too is when we want communication from loved ones on the other side. And um, let's say, uh, let's say that, uh, oh, your husband just died and your song was, uh, you know, whatever. And you're, oh God, if I could just hear from him one more time and, and you're driving, why do you say that? And all of a sudden that song comes on the radio mm-hmm. and people go, oh, that's just coincidence. Well, it's not coincidence. It's the other side manipulating <laughs> things to reach us and say, hey, here I am. You know, I'm, I'm, and we all want these dramatic things. Like I'll give you an example of a dramatic communication. Uh, we had uh, a biker buddy of ours that died at a a very young age and um, this guy you know a lot of bikers wear vests with pins on them Mm -hmm. and they're covered with pins and the pins commemorate bike events and political statements and and all kinds of stuff so this guy loved his pins and he had some really rare pins and uh, his vest was covered with them. And I had a vest that I wore, had some pins on it and had some really nice pins that were like five, $10, even a piece. And we'd fly down the road and the vest would get to flapping and the pins would fly off. And there's my $10 pin somewhere on the highway, never to be seen again. So I got, I got tired of losing pins. And I asked him one day, I said, you know, you've got all these pins on your vest. They never disappear. We roar down the highway at high speed and you never lose pins. How come? And with his trademark grin, he looks at me and says, I super glue the back zone. <laughs> I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so after, after our buddy died, uh, this uh, friend of ours that we, we used to ride with, we all had a group that we rode together. And he called me one day and said, uh, hey, you want to take a ride with me? And I want to look at something. Then we'll just goof around, get a ride in, and maybe go out and have a libation or whatever. And I say, Okay. So we went for this ride and wound up at this watering hole that we all used to go to. And uh, we started talking about this deceased friend of ours. Uh, we sat out there, we just, uh, we parked the bikes and, and just sat and leaned against them and we're just talking to each other. And the talk turned to our, our dead buddy. And this, from the, this guy had a, a vest covered with pins and the pins started flying off of his vest for like a foot, <laughs> two feet, five feet, wow. 10 feet. And not only did the, the uh, pins from the front of the vest start flying off, the connectors in the back that held the pins to the vest started flying out from inside of his vest and popping out, flying out like popcorn. So I said, that's our buddy. He knows we're talking about him. He's here. He's showing us that, that he's here. And this buddy of ours had given many, many melodramatic proofs like that that uh, that he was still around after he died so that's the kind of proof that everybody wants but that's not always the proof that you get you know sometimes it's much more subtle much more calm much more relaxed much more uh the type of thing that people would throw into the coincidence category Mm -hmm. but it's not a coincidence it's that person communicating to you the best that they can with the energy and the knowledge and the know-how they've got at the available time and uh, with your degree of receptivity. So we have to count every communication precious, even if it's not this fancy melodramatic one. Hmm. Um, why do they stay with us after they pass? Like, why don't they just, like, like some people like when, um, say like ghosts are in, 
paranormal. Well, actually, let's go back to the, like what we're talking about, like communications, like say with loved ones, right. um, and, and then sort of like they still hang around us throughout our lifetimes, like they don't go away. Um, and I think everybody kind of anybody who's like lost a parent or somebody like that, you know, like like they're not gone because you feel right. them, right? Um, why did he do that? Like, why did he hang out? Is it, is it, is it they love? love they love us. They they want to be with us. They want to watch over us. They want to try and guide us. They want to try and help us. Um, people have varying reasons for what they do uh, with our loved ones. It's because they do want to be with us. They do want to watch over us. They do want to help us and guide us. They want to try and get messages through to us that will be beneficial to us. Mm-hmm. Um, some people on the other side are done with us and tired of the whole mess and they just get out on, they get on, they don't want to be around us no more. They don't want to be around that environment or that circumstance or whatever. And, uh, there have been people that have just gone on from the other side and, and people don't hear from them anymore or get any real contact from them. So a lot of it has to, what we have to realize is just because your physical body dies, uh, you're learning your memories, your perceptions, your personality, your sense of humor, whatever, that doesn't change just because your physical body dies. You're still who you are. You're just now in a different place, interacting with different entities and and intelligences and presences or whatever. And then you have a learning process to go through there, uh, maybe a healing process to go through there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you have your own will and your volition. And it's like, okay, now that I'm here, what am I going to do? You know? And I think that, um, you know, some people love someone so much that they want to hang around and make their presence known and try and help and guide, comfort that person. And then, like I say, some people are like, well, I'm out of here. I ain't going back to that mess. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, we do have our will and our volition and everything. Like if your uncle had a great sense of humor here, he's probably going to prank you from the other side, mm-hmm. you know, that type of thing. So um, we have to realize that we're still dealing with, in essence, the same person as they were. And, uh, you know, when you die and get to the other side, you don't become all wise and all knowing, you know, that's, and from what I understand of the other side, nobody knows hundred percent for sure, but from what I understand of the other side, there are learning processes, growth processes and things that we do over there. And, uh, we have to decide, okay, in this process, uh, what do I choose to do? And, and, you know, where do I choose to be and so on and so forth. And I always get tickled to people that are like, well, uh, you know, my, um, I was in Texas and my uncle died in New York. You know, how could he, how could he come to me on the other side? There's no such thing as these physical distance limitations and time limitations that we deal with. And, uh, you know, somebody might pop in and say hi, and then they're gone and they're off doing something else on the other side without these time space limitations mm-hmm. that we experience. So we have to learn to experience it, the, experience it that way, to think of it that way, to acknowledge it that way. And uh, then that's when we begin to interact with it in ways that begin to make some sense. Interesting. Um, can you tell if there's anybody on the other side uh, that is around me and has a message for me? Um, just within the confines of this, I probably can't, I can mm-hmm. tell you for sure that there are people around you. Absolutely. Right. Uh, there are, <laughs> uh, there's one or two deceased relatives around you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems to be male and a female. And then there is, um, uh, now as I'm looking at you, 
uh, on the screen here, the male and the female stand to your left. Mm -hmm. And then on your right, uh, there's this very powerful entity, this very powerful spirit that would be like a spirit guide, guardian angel, whatever, whatever name that you want to give it. And um, <laughs> he, he gets, uh, he tells me that he's kind of put out with you in a good way, in a good humored way. He's like, Gary, you know, <laughs> come on, man. I'm, I'm, I'm helping you here. I'm prodding you here. And you're, you're kind of not getting it. And he has a real good sense of humor about it, but uh, he's uh, an entity and, and he comes across as a male presence. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's an entity that you want to tune into and just say, you know, people, what's the name? What's the name? They don't always give us a name. Right. And the name that they may give us may not have absolutely any meaning or coherence or relevance to us. So you're, so, you're, you're second person to tell me this yeah, about, yeah. about yeah. Me being so, stubborn and not listening to whatever right, this guardian right, the, the spirit yeah. is. Yeah. So just so listen to that and begin to trust it more, begin to trust yourself more. And, you know, one of the reasons that we fail to listen to guidance, we won't control. We want to call the shots. We want the acknowledgement that, hey, I did this. Well, everybody stands on the shoulders of somebody else, you know, Um we, we don't accomplish anything solo, no matter how rich or famous you are. You had help. You had investors or you had inside knowledge or you had input or you had guidance or you had whatever. Nobody makes it by themselves. And so that's one thing that we have to get over. And that's hard for me because I like to have this feeling of, of being in control and having power and all this. And it's like we're little kids going to our dad and saying, hey, you know, I, I need to start this or can I have five bucks for that or whatever? And that's the way we are with the universe. Basically, mm -hmm. it's like we have to acknowledge, hey, we need that help. We need that input. We need that power from the other side to, to lift us up and help us. And uh, when we when we can get to that point and accept what they give us, uh, then we're going to make some real progress. We have to learn to quit resisting, quit fighting and and uh, to, to open up to the uh, the guidance that we get. We have to be open to that leading. Hmm. So, um, this guy on my right, what's you think about this podcast? Oh, he's, he's a hundred percent for it. He, he loves it. He loves what you're doing. And, and this is one of the great things in life that you're doing that he's very satisfied with, very happy with, uh, but he wants you to, uh, it's like what he communicates to me about you. It's like, you're almost bound up inside when it comes to, um, to really opening up and receiving communication and acting on that communication. It's like, you're a little reticent about it, not necessarily afraid of it, mm -hmm. but just a little reticent about it. And, uh, and not quite sure that you can commit to it or want to commit to it. And that's what he's wanting to help you get through and, uh, and get to the point that I think that one of the fears you may have subconsciously is that okay? Yeah, I'll open up to this, and then I'll get into a bunch of weird nonsense, and I don't want to go that direction, whatever. And uh, the, the the person there that is with you, the entity there, wouldn't let that happen. Wouldn't lead you in that way. Mm -hmm. And when we receive guidance, we still use our common sense and reason. Uh, you know, it's like if somebody tells you, uh, you say, "Oh man, I, I stubbed my toe and broke it," and the doctor said, I just got to let it heal. And they couldn't even put a cast on or do anything. Oh, well, go drink calf slobber by the full moon and you'll you'll be healed. It's like, oh, man, come on. So we still have our common sense and reason. We're not going to do idiotic yeah. things, right? Uh -huh. But but we do have to open up to things that, in our perception, 
may be a little odd or weird or unusual. And, and we have to be willing to say, okay, within my uh, constraints where I know I can control this and reject what's idiotic, I'll, I'll open up to this. I'll try it and let's see what happens. Hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's, that's one thing that'll help you there. Interesting. I, I, sounds pretty accurate to me. <laughs> yep. And, and when it comes from multiple sources, that's when I always take it exactly. really, really exactly. seriously. Yeah. Like I'm, yeah. I'm lucky to kind of have this opportunity to talk to so many people. And, oh, sure, sure. And, 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 see. Then, and then at some point, it's like, you know, you can, uh, you can tell somebody how to swim and you can buy them books on swimming and you can discuss the techniques and the kinesiology of swimming. Mm -hmm. But at some point, you got to jump in the water. Right. You know, so that's, that's the thing here is you can be in touch with people that have this knowledge and you can um, learn and ruminate on this knowledge, but at some point you got to put it into practice for yourself. Hmm. Well, thank you for the advice. I really appreciate uh, it. More than welcome. Thank the guys on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when you go out doing the paranormal investigating do you use any equipment? Do you guys go out there? Do you go out there with like EMFs and EV, you know? Do, no, uh, no, it's and it's just me. I, I just go alone, mm -hmm. and uh, and I never use uh, any equipment because I'm the best sensor there is. You know, I'm the most sensitive instrument there is out there uh, to do this. And it was really funny. I I uh, shot a TV pilot for the History Channel, which unfortunately never aired. Uh, but my uh, producer and I became very good friends. Mm -hmm. And he told me one time, he said, uh, get some EVP, electronic voice phenomena, from spirit voices that people can hear. And I said, well, that wouldn't make any sense because I hold complete full conversations in my head with these spirits, two-way complete conversations. And most EVP is a word or two, very, very rarely four or five words, maybe a short phrase. Yeah. And I said, so for me, that's regression. Why would I do that when I have paragraph long <laughs> communications with these spirits in my head? And he said, because the people that are watching or listening don't, mm -hmm. and they can't access what you have, but they can hear that voice on tape and go, oh, <laughs> So I said, oh, okay, now I get it. So so that began to make sense. Have you ever encountered any spirits that were on this earth before human beings? Oh, yeah, Lord, yes, all the time, all the time. And, uh, and I encounter a variety of entities that are uh, non-human, that were never human. Uh, I encountered nature spirits that are of still a, a completely different order of mm -hmm. spirit, what I would call a completely different order of spirit. And um, some of these uh, classes of spirits seem to work together for mutual reasons. And some of them kind of seem to be a little distinct, not at odds with each other, but just a little distinct from each other, a little separate from each other, but most seem to be aware of the other. And um, I think one of the frustrations for all of the spirit realm and for us as human beings is the stupid nonsense we do 
that messes up the earth, messes up the planet, messes up right. our own lives. And after a while, some of these forces just kind of stand back and it's kind of like, okay, hands off, I'm done. <laughs> it's like, I remember when we had the, um, I predicted the very first economic crash mm -hmm. that sent us down the tubes. And it's a matter of record that I accurately predicted it. I predicted it four or five years before it happened. I was on numerous radio shows at the time, made the prediction in public, made it on my website, uh, talked to all my clients about it. And what the other side told me about it at the time was uh, the wheels are going to come off. And boy, did they ever, the, the wheels did come off. And the interesting thing about that crash was I received the knowledge from the other side that what we do here affects that realm as much as what people on that side can affect this realm here also. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that um, there were some very specific things that people might think are small. I don't consider any meaningful communication from the other side small, no matter what it is. And uh, one of the things that used to happen to me everywhere I would go, I would find coins and people say, oh, well, yeah, I find coins all the time. No, listen, <laughs> I would go uh, to the gas pump, pull up to the gas pump on my motorcycle. Now on a motorcycle, you gots to be careful because if there's sand or dirt there or there's oil there and you pull into it, you're going down. Yeah. So when I pull into the gas pump, I'm eagle-eyed. I pull in slow. I'm looking everywhere to make sure, okay, is there dirt, there's sand, there's oil, there's a grease, whatever. Am I going to go down? Okay, I'm all right. Now, looking at something that closely, you know if there's a coin there or not. You would see the coin as you pull in. And I have pulled into gas pumps. There has not been any coin there. I pull in, put the kicks down, down, shut off the bike, get off, get ready to fuel, look down, and there's a coin laying there by the kickstand where there was no coin before. I had uh, one time I went in a store uh, in the car, uh, went in a store to buy uh, some music CDs, and I had just, I looked down at the pavement, the parking lot when I got out of the car, nothing there. When I came out of the store, went to get back in the car in a perfect triangle, were three pennies touching in a perfect triangle right there by the door of my car. So these were the kinds of things that I experienced. Now, when the crash happened, all that disappeared, all that went away. I stopped finding any coins anywhere for a long, long, long time. Mm -hmm. And it was like the other side, it wasn't that they couldn't do it any longer. It was just that we had messed things up so badly and they were showing me, look, the ramifications of this go into other dimensions. And, you know, the foolishness of what we did has affected things on, on many deep levels. And uh, there were other, um, other things that happened, like I have atomic clocks uh, in my office that are synchronized to the atomic time and uh, receive the time signal from, I believe, where does it come from? Denver, I don't know, I think, for the main, main atomic clocks. But anyways, um, they had always worked, always got the signal when the crash occurred. Uh, the clocks didn't get the signal for like months on end, months on end. Hmm. And uh, then there was one other thing. I, I don't remember what it was off the top of my head now, but one other thing that happened. And it was kind of like the other side was showing me, hey, this is far reaching. And we don't take our actions seriously enough. And we don't understand the ramifications of these actions. And it's not like the a butterfly flaps its wings in Fiji and the U.S. has a hurricane. It's not that. It's, but it's the real understanding of we do certain things and it has 
definite ramifications that reach even to the other dimension and the way that they choose to communicate with us or can communicate with us. And uh, so it's a process where we have to learn how all of these dimensions interact, how all of these entities and beings and guardian angels and everything interact. And, uh, you know, these, these beings have their own will, their own volition, their own things that they are either sent to do or want to do uh, or whatever. And it's up to us to understand that, uh, you know, the, uh, what I always tell people, the other side is not sitting there like a happy, grinning, slobbering, panning puppy dog wagging its tail waiting for us to command it and say, Hey, here's what I want today. Mm -hmm. It ain't like that. You know, I mean, this, this is a, a whole universe with intelligent beings with volition of their own. And it's up to us to learn that communicate with that, connect with that, and hopefully do something good with it. So how about the mess that we find ourselves in now? Have you had oh, any warnings about this happening and <clears throat> why it's happening and what we should do? about it? Well, yeah. Um, now, now here's where things get a little dicey mm -hmm. uh, without coming off as the left wing wing nut or the right wing wing nut or the guy in the tinfoil hat. Um, any reasonable person can look at the history of politics in the world, not just America, right. but the history of politics in the world and can can realize that there are rich and powerful people that command things to their advantage and a lot of times screw things up in the process uh, for example the hunt brothers in texas when I, I grew up in west texas and when i lived in texas the hunt brothers decided they were going to corner the silver market and look at the mess that you know that uh, engendered and so we have rich and powerful people that don't always have anyone's best interest at heart but their own uh, one example I can give you of that would be to watch uh, Jamie Johnson. I believe his name is Jamie. Jamie Johnson's documentary, The Johnson and Johnson Family. Right. Um, he produced two documentaries on their wealth and uh, what these people do with it. And one of the things that just boggled my mind was they go to this, the, the ultra wealthy, go to this seminar once a year where this guy teaches them one thing, and that's how to keep all your money. Uh, and perpetuate it for your family down the road. Don't want taxes to get it. Don't want charities to get it. Don't want donations to get it. Yours and increase it and pass it on to your kids. And then they're going to increase it and they're going to, and it's like, my God, man, you know, do some, do some charitable work and charitable work is not building a $25 million wing uh, of a new library on a university and putting your name on it. That's not charitable work. You know, I used to, I used to say, look, what's, what's wrong with the system and what we have to fix. Take that $25 million in West Texas, where I grew up, it gets hotter than Hades during the summer. There's a lot of old people. They can't afford air conditioning. Mm -hmm. They can't afford electric bills and they die in the heat. So take that $25 million and go to Lowe's or Home Depot or wherever and say, hey, man, give me a, a deal if you can. If you can't, I don't care. I'll take them anyways. Buy all the home window units that you can. Find out where these old people are. Go put the window units in. Have them installed at no cost to them. And then pay their electric bill for 10 years so that they can sit there and go in on these hot summer days and not die from the heat. Now that's humanitarianism, that's charity. 
but it doesn't get your name on a library and it doesn't get your millionaire and billionaire buddies go, oh, look at him. He's a good old boy. Look at what he did, you know? So that's one of the things that we have to fix in the mess that we're in is our greed, our vanity, our ego, our pride. And we've become now to where it's my party. And uh, I've read something somebody said, and I agree with it. You can't tell the Democrats from the Republicans anymore. <laughs> no. uh, used to, you could. And now it's all one mess of, of snakes and vipers. And, uh, <laughs> you know, everybody's out for the party line and everybody's out for this and that and the other. And, you know, what about the people that have been shut down now for a year from their businesses and have lost their businesses? Some of them lost their homes, you know, this and that. Um, and it's like I read a thing the other day that said this this GameStop thing or whatever it is that's going on. Mm -hmm. um, I read a meme on Facebook that said, here's the difference between the government's weight on assistance and your weight on assistance. The GameStop thing will be stopped immediately. Your <laughs> stimulus check may come a few months down the road. So that shows you where the priorities yeah. are. You know, it's, it's their priority. And it all stems from ego and from vanity and from pride and the need to amass more and more and more and more. And what I have always said personally is you take 10 people, you put them in a room, all 10 people are well-fed, they get anything they want to eat. All of them have enough money. Uh, they drive good cars, they live in a good home, it's all paid for, they don't have any debt. They can take vacations, they're, they're healthy. Uh, their, their lives are happy. And that one person out of those 10 will look at the other nine and go, now, how can I get control of these rascals? How can I get control of these suckers? How can I dominate their lives? How can I force them into the mold and the image that I want them to be? And how can I get them following me? And that's the problem that we have when there's no need for it, that still arises, that still comes out in human nature. And there's always this one person that wants to dominate and control the others. And it's, it's gotta be my way or this way or that way mm -hmm. or whatever. So that's a lot of what we're fighting and, and wrestling with now. And I tell people, look, I said, yeah, part of the solution is physical. Absolutely. But the main portion of the solution is spiritual. Um, yes. You know, we have to get serious about praying, meditating, um, fighting the spiritual battle by whatever means we deem appropriate. And we have to be consistent with that. And we have to be serious with that. And, uh, you know, we have lost, uh, as a nation, as a society, uh, a lot of our spiritual focus and a lot of our spiritual way. Now, I'm not saying all of it was correct or right to begin with, but we did have mm -hmm. some things in place that kind of kept people on a more or less even keel. All that's vanished now. And all of this that goes on, you don't see on a national level, any of the big church leaders or anybody like that coming out and, and condemning it or offering solutions or saying, we got to do this or we got to do that. That's absent. It's vanished. Yeah. And so people are kind of floundering around and it's, it's kind of like, you know, we're, we're left to our own devices now. And so we need to become a cohesive unit. We have to get back supporting each other to the fact that there is power in numbers that we can pray and meditate and do things effectively. And then we have to be willing to, follow through with whatever, you know, whatever guidance we're given when we get that. Yeah. Yeah. And I do, uh, it, it, it is, it's a, it, it, even though we have like, um, you know, all these physical things happening, like the, the, the virus and, and right. the financial issues and everything, it, it does come down to something spiritual, you know, at, at, at its very core, there's something wrong spiritually. 
that exactly. needs to be corrected and yeah. and it's been put way way off balance. Yes, you know, yeah. and and you mentioned the GameStop thing. Like, uh, I'll say like one of the things I've always felt that should be illegal are those damn hedge funds. I hate yes. them; they're yeah. evil. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And I have a uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I have a very dear friend uh, who is a a literal financial wizard, and he uh, during this this time frame of some of this bizarre trading that was going on among the fat cats. Um, he, now I, I'm not good with math and I'm not good with the numbers. So he managed to put this in a way that I could grasp it. And basically now he, he did the technicality of it, the technical lingo and then busted it down into street jargon that I could get and explained what he meant with all of it and explained exactly how it happened. And uh, he had proofs for it uh, and references for it and so on and so forth. But basically what these guys did was invent money out of thin air. Mm -hmm. And so you would buy a million dollars worth of shares in this thing that didn't exist and they would accept that. And then they would on paper, do something else with that and on and on and on. The money was never there in the first place, never existed. <laughs> and everybody got richer and richer and richer off of this imaginary money. Yeah. And he explained this to me very clearly and very concisely. And when he did, I couldn't sleep for two nights. I was like, Oh my God, you know, so, but this is the, um, the bottom line game that we're all in now. And it ignores spirituality entirely. The bottom line game at the uh, game at the hospitals, is money. It's not healthcare. It's money. Uh, the bottom line game at the bank is money. Uh, the bottom line game anywhere, money. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that I learned was, let's say a business has um, $100,000 profit one year. And uh, the next year, they make $90,000 profit. Now that's still profit. But because I didn't make a hundred thousand dollars, they say they took a ten thousand dollar loss that year. Mm -hmm. Now they didn't; they still made ninety thousand dollars in profit. But because it wasn't a hundred thousand, they'll call it a ten thousand dollar loss. So those are some of the idiotic semantics that we've allowed people to work with and mess around with and convince us: oh, poor things! Look, they went down the tubes. No, they didn't. They're still making money in over fist. But uh, but these are some of the things that we uh, are not aware of. And uh, we stumbled around with, and these guys pulled the wool over our eyes and, and convinced us, oh, geez, we're having hard times. And in the meantime, they go out and buy another Mercedes and another yacht and take a, a trip to France, you know? So <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's something that we have to come to terms with spiritually. It's a, it's a greed, an ego, a vanity thing. How many cars do you need to drive? How many homes do you have to have? Um, you know, and it, and it just goes on and on and on. And success is measured by, the amount of money you have and not your compassion, not your concern for your fellow man, uh, not your concern for yourself. Uh, because how many of these people are so out of touch with themselves, <clears throat> excuse me, and so out of touch with the realm of spirit. And uh, going back to the hospital, to healthcare, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, one of the things that I became aware of, and this happened with a family member, is upcoding. And upcoding in the hospitals you go in and, oh man, I have a headache. 
well, it might be a brain tumor. So, you know, we better send you for a CAT scan, MRI, some x-rays, you know, may just be a headache, might just be the flu, but it could be a brain tumor. So, you know, you've got good insurance. We got to do all this other stuff. So they upcode and they do all these unnecessary things that makes the hospital more money, the doctors more money and the board directors more money and blah, 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 blah. So it's become, now there's nothing wrong with making money. It's not fun to starve. It's not fun to be homeless. It's not fun to, be, to not be able to pay your bills. I don't have anything against a reasonable profit against anybody making a good living. But when you go in the hospital for a headache and you're upcoded to, well, could be a brain tumor and your insurance is out hundreds of thousands of dollars for all of these unnecessary tests, you know, come on, we're just, we're just screwing ourselves over and over and over and over again. And that's where the spirituality has to come in that it has to stop. That's such a good analogy too, because I've had that happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, my last stay at the hospital was was for an epileptic seizure, and, and, and for for, for, uh, for some unknown reason, they ran all kinds of crazy ass tests for a heart condition. Right, right. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> how, do you, how do you do that? <laughs> His heart might be causing his epilepsy. It's yeah. like, come on, man. I wasn't even yeah. conscious. You should have given me a choice. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, yeah. So that's that's the system that we're in. And uh, we we have to we have to get control of that somehow. We have to take that back somehow. And, um, you know, it, it, for me, everything starts with the spiritual aspects mm -hmm. of things because that's where all ultimate power and creation and ability is. And um, that's what we have to get back to. How, you know, listening to you, like, like how, like, it must be all connected for you. You know, the, the motorcycle riding and everything, just the, the, the freedom, the being with nature, connecting yeah. with the spirit, um, being one with it really. It, you know, Absolutely. That, that almost really play a, a huge role for you. It does. It's, um, it's, it's one of the closest connections uh, to nature and to spirit that I have when I'm out. Mm -hmm. And ever since I was a young man, uh, well, when I was a teenager um, in Texas, I got my license at uh, 15 and uh, I had always loved roaming, just getting out on the highway and just going, no destination, just driving, seeing the sights, listening to music. And when I got my first motorcycle, I was the same way. And, and that increased my ability to roam because gas is cheaper on a bike, maintenance is cheaper <laughs> on a bike. And uh, the, the physical freedom that it gave me was phenomenal because in a car, um, Nowadays, the cars are so well insulated and you've got the radio going, the air conditioner on, the windows rolled up. A car can blow its horn right next to you. Sometimes you won't mm -hmm. hear it. The cars are so well insulated. And on a bike, you hear every sound, you hear every noise, you feel the vibration of the bike, you feel the vibration of the road, you feel the road conditions, the tires twitch and move the bike on the, the little, you know, uh, bumps in the road and the, the striations in the road. Um, if some guy's mowing his yard five blocks away, you'll smell it on the bike before you even get there. You'll mm -hmm. smell it in the air. Uh, all of these things are, are alive on you, make you come alive. And uh, then the, the funny thing, the reason I wrote the book, Writing with the Ghost Angels and the Spirits of the Dead, 
uh, when I shot the uh, the TV pilot with my producer, and unfortunately it didn't air. Um, we continued to work together. We became friends, and we continued to work together. And he said, uh, "Well, write write a blog, and just put some short snippets up of some of your paranormal experiences." And as we um, approached various TV producers and so on and so forth, we can use some of that to to kind of you know. Um, use it as a selling point for them about who you are and what your gifts are and so on and so forth. Well, during that time frame, about roughly about a year or two, it was a very short time span. Um, as I rode my motorcycle, I began to have these melodramatic, bizarre, wonderful, fantastic, crazy paranormal experiences that were directly related to me riding my bike, mm -hmm. being on the bike. And uh, so I wrote a few of those, but I began to experience so many. It was like, my God, I've got to, I have to expand these to their full story, all of what happened. And I have to collect them and, and put them into a book because there were things that were so incredibly amazing. Um, and every author says, oh, my book's incredibly amazing. My book's unique. And the first thing an agent or an editor will do is shoot you down. They will tell you, give me comp titles give me comp comparable titles because there's no unique book out there. Your book is like Jean Le Carre or like, uh, you know, uh, on and on and on. There's, uh -huh. there's comparable titles out there that are similar to your book, give me comp titles. So this one editor been in the industry forever. <laughs> he read my manuscript before it was published and he said, there's no book out there like this. <laughs> he said, this is absolutely <laughs> unique in literature. There is no book like this. And, and it, there really isn't. I mean, the, the experiences, the, the stories, which are all true, are so incredible and so unique and so wonderful and so meaningful. And I learned some great things from them as well as um, it raised some questions for me, for myself. And so I thought, man, I've got to put these together and I've got to put them in a book and get it out there. And uh, so I did writing with ghost angels and the spirits of the dead. If anybody wants to buy the book, they can go to writingwithghosts.net. That's my website for it. And it's got information on buying it. It's available at Amazon, Books, Million, Barnes and Noble, everywhere yep. online. And uh, the, um, the experiences of all the experiences I've had, and I've had over 800, my producer asked me one day, he said, how do you know you've had over 800? I wrote them down. I started keeping track of them and I have like paper lists around the house mm -hmm. and I have lists on my computers and I've had way over 800 paranormal experiences. And of all of these experiences, I think because of my love of motorcycling, my love of the bike, my love of that freedom in the open air. Um, and then that connection with the other side combining with that just kind of made it really special and, and really unique. And so I, I loved writing the book. I enjoyed it. Uh, uh, the readers have, have given me feedback and told me that it's it's unlike anything they've ever read, that it was a page turner. They, they couldn't put it down and they hated to see it in. Um, so that was um, that was a very special um, connection with the other side and connection with my motorcycling. And uh, so, so what are some of the stories in there in, in the oh, book? Man, what are some of your favorites? <laughs> I tell you, they're like babies. They're like your children. You love them all, you know, but uh, I'll, I'll tell you one from the book that uh, I'll give you part of part of a chapter. Um, I had um, there were I would ride 15 to 1800 miles a month on my motorcycle. And that's while I was doing radio 
several times a month and also the busiest I had ever been with an international clientele. I'm a very good manager of time and I would carve out these niches of time and, uh, and then I would schedule myself days off and I would take off and I would ride two to 300 miles during that day, visit two, three, four state parks, hike five, six, seven miles through the parks during that time frame. And uh, on this one particular day, I had, uh, I had read a book by uh, a, a famed crop circle researcher and he had uh, conducted this experiment. And in this experiment, he's, he made the supposition that if crop circles are formed by intelligences, then one ought to be able to communicate with these intelligences. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, that's, that's reasonable. And so he said, okay, whoever makes these, I, I know you can hear me over here in this patch of grass by my office. I want this particular shape design to appear in the grass there within this certain time frame. And lo and behold, it did. So uh, I was like, wow, this is amazing. I have to try and replicate this. So I set out on my lanai and uh, at like 7.30, 7, 7.30 in the morning, I get up like at five o'clock every day. So I'm always up and out early. And uh, so I sit there and I said, okay, I want to replicate this guy's experiment. I don't know who you are or what you are, but I know you're intelligent enough to be able to communicate with us, to hear me, to, to do this, to know what's going on. So I want to replicate this experience. And what I would like is this pattern in this area of grass this week, because we had a, a lawn service and they came and cut the grass. And I knew it'd be like a week away before they cut the grass. So there was plenty of time for the manifestation to occur. So I said that and gave a little prayer of thanks and then went and hopped on the bike and went on to, uh, to do my day's ride two, 300 miles and did two or three state parks. And, uh, the funny thing is what I asked for did not happen in the grass there at my home, but there were many incredible bizarre manifestations that occurred while I was on the road on the motorcycle. And a lot of them occurred with grass. Now, when we think of grass, we think of the lawn, you know, Bermuda grass or St. Augustine or whatever. Well, there's all different kinds of grass. Wheat is a type of grass. Uh, Bamboo is a type of grass. So in in these different genres of things, these bizarre, weird manifestations happen. And there were like six or seven or eight that I experienced that day by the time I got through at the end of the day. So I had this evidence that these intelligences had heard me and had interacted with me. But I'll tell you one of the most incredible, the most bizarre interactions that I had that day. And, uh, And this started the first rattle out of the box. I went to this state park parked the bike, headed out on this hiking trail. I knew all these trails like the back of my hand and and all these parks. And uh, I headed down this trail and we have here in Florida, Saul Saul Palmetto, which is a a type of short palm tree. I I don't know that you could classify it as grass, but it's a short (laughs) type of short palm tree. And uh, there's clumps of it that grow here and there. And it gets up fairly tall, but there was a little clump about maybe two feet high, something like that up the trail. So one of the things that I learned when I moved to Florida, it's one of the windiest damn states on the planet. The wind here is incredible. And there would be days that there was no storms, blue skies, sunshine, and I would be hanging onto the bike for dear life, trying to keep the wind from blowing me off. 
So this morning that I went, there was no wind. And that was one of the first things I noticed when I left out, when I got the park, it's like, wow, it's as still, it's as calm as can possibly be. There's absolutely no wind blowing. I thought, boy, that's kind of strange. So uh, I'm walking down this trail and about 30, 40, 50 feet up ahead on the left side, the left-hand side of the trail, I see this little small clump of, uh, of palmetto grass, a very young, a very young clump. And this one frond is waving back and forth, tick, 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 about that fast, like a metronome. And I'm like, what in the world? So I said, okay, must be windy. So I look around the forest, not a leaf stirring, not a bit of wind, nothing, calm as can be. But this one frond is, is waving back and forth. And I don't mean like wavering around, I mean like on a straight, perfect arc back and forth. So I said, okay, well, this is pretty bizarre. Well, let's go check this out. So I get up there and I get closer and it's moving at such a rapid rate. And the arc is so strong and so wide from side to side that as you get closer, you can hear it. Tick, 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 tick. I'm like, wow, this is weird. So, so I said, something's gotta be going on. So I go up to this frond and I look at it and um, I said, okay, what's going on here? And I look around, there's no wind. Nothing else close to it is moving. The, the other fronds within the clump are not moving. And it's not wavering around like it's being blown by wind. It's just going back and forth on this perfect straight arc. So I've been down and I look at it. No snake, no bird, no insect, nothing crawling around inside. Just this frond, tick, 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 back and forth. So I said, well, okay. I said, <laughs> Maybe this little guy is welcoming me to the forest today. It's waving hello. So I said, okay, <laughs> hi, how you doing? I said, bless your heart. I appreciate the welcome to the forest. Now that sounds a little new agey and strange, but mm -hmm. when you've experienced all I have, you learn to talk to these things and they do talk back. <laughs> so uh, I stand there and I look at it for a while. And I said, well, I'm going to leave you with a blessing and I'm going to go on and finish the hike, finish the trail, and uh, I'll see you on the return. And I hope you give me a blessing likewise. So I headed on down the trail and periodically I'd look back and it's still going tick, 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 tick. So I get down to the end of the trail, turn around, come back up and it's still going tick, tick, the exact same motion, exact same movement. Now by then, this is like 30 minutes this thing has been doing this. So you would expect the stem to have worn, to have broken for there to be tear or wear or something on the stem because this thing is bending back and forth. Like I say, the arc is one to two feet wide and it's going like, and I'm not exaggerating, it's like tick, 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 tick. It's swinging back and forth that fast. So I get up there and again, I look at it and I bend down, I look at the stem, the stem's intact. No tear, no wear, no breaks, nothing. And I'm like, wow, this is one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. So I said, well, thank you for welcoming me to the forest. I'll leave you with a blessing. I appreciate the experience and I hope that uh, you give me a blessing and I'll, I'll I'll treasure this experience and I'm going to go on down the road now. So as I walk the trail back up to my bike, periodically I'd turn around, look back, the little fronds still going 90 miles an hour, tick, 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 and not a shred of wind, not a bit of wind, not a leaf on a tree moving anywhere. So that was one of the marvelous experiences I had uh, as a result of that. And then, like I say, <laughs> as I continued uh, to ride that day and go to the other state parks, there were about five or six more mm -hmm. uh, that happened and a lot of more related specifically to grass. And uh, man, just just incredible, just just bizarre. It is wild.
It is wild. And you, <laughs> and you learn from that, that you can speak to these intelligences. They hear you. They will interact with you. They will help you. Uh, you may not get every answer you want. You may not get everything you want, but uh, that interaction, that help, that, that uh, interplay between dimensions is out there. If you'll see getting respected and accept it when it comes. And um, sometimes we get great phenomenal messages. John moved to the left lane now, you know, mm -hmm. and other times we get a little palm frond waving at us and we go, okay, well, nothing seems to be earth changing there, but hi, you know, appreciate <laughs> it. And, and glad to know that you guys are, are communicating with me. So uh, I've always told people that not every communication has to be some grandiose thing. Think of interacting with the other side as, you know, we come to a bus stop and we're waiting for the bus. Somebody comes up and sits down. Hey, how you doing? Oh, pretty good. How about you? Oh, all right, boy, it's hot today, isn't it? Yeah, we sure need some rain and da 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 da, da. And we make this small talk to connect with each other as human mm -hmm. beings. And I think sometimes the other side just says, hey, I'm here. How you doing? Just want you to know I'm here. And I think sometimes it can be as simple as that. It doesn't always have to be this grandiose life-saving thing. Yeah. What part of Florida are you in? Uh, we're on the East Coast over around Daytona area, right around in there. Okay. Yeah. I have some family down there. Oh, do you? Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm in Alabama, but I'm only about 20 minutes maybe from Pensacola. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so what is your take on darker entities? Do you believe that um, the, the, <clears throat> the, there are demonic spirits that want to harm people? I have had um, no experiences that would convince me there's such a thing as the typical exorcism, uh, exorcist rather, the exorcist movie experience. Uh -huh. I haven't experienced anything like that. Um, that's not to deny, obviously, that evil exists. Evil exists here on this planet. There's no denying it. Now, to assume that just because somebody evil dies and goes to the other side, that they become all good, all wise, all knowing, I don't believe that either. So obviously, there has to be some uh, malevolent force or power there. And I think that um, if you look at just the nature of this planet, uh, one example I always give, if you've ever grown a garden, you grow flowers, you grow fruits, you grow vegetables. These are things that the flowers are not just for beauty, but the bees need them to pollinate. Mm -hmm. And the fruits and vegetables keep us alive. And if you've ever grown a garden, all these pests constantly attack the garden and try and destroy it. The very things that we need to survive are constantly under attack. You know, the plagues of locusts, the the hurricanes, the tornadoes, the volcanoes, all these things. So the earth is a very difficult place to live with, to begin with, to live on, to begin with. And then I think that just as a lot of things have the spiritual core or source or purpose or meaning, then on the other side, there have got to be some entities there that are not uh, beneficial to us, that don't care about us, that don't care about our well-being. And we seem to kind of be under attack uh, from that, if you will. Mm -hmm. I do believe there are things we can do to defend ourselves, protect ourselves. But I do believe we are in a spiritual battle, a spiritual struggle, uh, struggle of sorts. And no, I don't think everything is all peace, light, and wonderful. But I, I don't think there's a demon behind every bush either. 
you know, I worry about the people that attribute all paranormal activity to, to demons or whatever. Yeah. I don't believe that's the case. Uh, and I have not experienced anything that I would describe as overtly malevolent with the exception of one experience I had in, um, in Manhattan one time when I lived upstate with my wife in New York and she had a business in the city and we would go into Manhattan for business. And there was a friend of ours, he's deceased now, he's on the other side. And he was somewhat psychic and he was blind. Uh, so every, uh, all the communication we had, it was really interesting because he couldn't see things. So we relied on each other from a purely um, intuitive and psychic standpoint to confirm things or, or whatever. So we were all standing out on the street one day coming, um, coming back to the car to come home from uh, Manhattan. We were standing there waiting for a light and this invisible presence blew by us so fast that the wind from it literally rippled our clothing. And he turned to me and I turned to him and he said, did you feel that? And I said, yeah, did you? And he said, yes. And I said, what was it? And he said, it wasn't good. He said, what do you get? And I said, it was something on the way somewhere to do some mischief. And he said, that's what I got, that it was something malevolent going somewhere to, to cause a catastrophe or, or some such thing. Um, so I do believe that those entities are out there. Yes, I do believe that there are these, you know, if there's good, there's got to be evil. Mm -hmm. um, not everybody here on earth has your best interest at heart. So why should we automatically assume that everybody on the other side does? Right. But I don't believe that it's the, uh, the stereotypical, you know, evil entities and the exorcists and all that nonsense that you see portrayed. If anything, I think it's more subtle than that. Right. And, um, one thing that I have a question about is, uh, the, you know, UFOs. There's no question that they're real. I've had several UFO experiences. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, people always assume, well, the Space Brothers. And, you know, they're, they're so far advanced. And if they if they want to harm us or if they want to control us or whatever, they'd have done it and da 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 da, da. So they're so far advanced. And they're so intelligent. They've got to be a peaceful, loving people. Well, I don't buy that either because we don't know. Um, if I come to you and I say, Gary, man, I've, I've, my, my hot water heaters went out and I can cover that, but my my car has a flat tire and I, I can't do that. And I don't have AAA. Can you help me? And if you've got the budget, like, well, yeah, John, what do you need? Mm -hmm. like, well, you know, give me 50 bucks to get the thing fixed and I'll <laughs> yeah. whatever. You're going to help me. Yeah. Um, but you know, my contention is, okay, we've got this super advanced uh, race of beings or intellectual beings, extraterrestrial, whatever they are interacting with us, contacting us, doing all this stuff. Isn't there somebody in all this vastly huge, monstrously advanced society that can come down and go, hey, can't stop the hurricanes, can't stop the tornadoes, can't stop the volcanoes, but here, here's something that'll get the little kids out of St. Jude. We can heal them little kids. Isn't there somebody out there that can do something, you know, out of all of this? And so I worry about that. And then you always see everybody is familiar. If you follow UFO researchers I at do. all. <laughs> yes. Okay. Everybody is familiar with the stories and these are real stories. These are documented stories. The military has admitted it. The yeah. UFOs have flown over our bases and have hovered there and shut down our nuclear missiles. Yes. They've taken them offline and they have interviewed people that were in the military that were in the silos. And they said, yes, 
they went offline and then when the UFOs finally left, the missiles came back online. Now, the scuttlebutt is they're coming to us as peaceful space brothers and they're saying, look, uh, we can shut you down if we want to and, and rethink what you're doing. Do you need these nuclear missiles and la da 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 da? That all sounds sweet and good and wonderful. But then the other day I was watching a documentary and I had never seen this before and it scared the crap out of me. Uh, this guy who was one, in the military in one of the silos when mm -hmm. this happened said that the UFO came, all the missiles went offline. Eventually, the UFO left, and when it did, all the missiles came back online, and two were in launch mode. Yeah. And they had to manually take the missiles out of launch mode and <laughs> shut them down to keep these nuclear missiles from going off. And I, I was I like, okay. Just in the other day. Yeah. So I was like, okay, there's one or two things happening here. Either the Space Brothers ain't as peaceful as we think they are, mm -hmm. Or Zork turned to Melnig in the ship and smacked him on the shoulder and said, idiot, look what you almost caused, you know, <laughs> now which way is it? So, you know, sure, uh, any advanced civilization could make a mistake too, but I thought that that was rather ominous. It is. Yeah. Do, do you think that there's a paranormal aspect to UFOs that maybe they'd be coming here from, you know, like another dimension? I don't think it's a dimensional thing. I really don't. I think it's a, a physical thing. And I think it's a, uh, uh, from another uh, universe or a close by universe type of thing. I think it's literally a physical thing. Mm -hmm. um, and the, uh, the interesting thing is when I've gone through these state parks and, and here in Florida talk, well, Indians, Native American Indians were all over this continent. They were everywhere. But when I've talked to the Native American spirits here that will communicate to me and come through to me in these state parks, they tell me that hundreds of years ago, they saw these things flying in the skies. Now that predates any technology that existed, you know, right. balloons, <laughs> airplanes, blimps, anything else. They told me that, that all these years back when there was no technology extant, that they would see these things. And uh, then one spirit volunteered to me one time that there were certain of their people talking about the Native Americans, there were certain of their people that had interacted with some of these extraterrestrial beings. And when I tried to press on that and get more information about that, it was kind of like they were reticent to share it. Like it was like, well, I don't know, maybe this is something that, that I better not say right now for whatever reason. So <laughs> there's a lot of frustration there. There's a lot of incompleteness there, but uh, I don't just automatically assume that all is hunky-dory and everything's peaceful mm -hmm. and everybody's good and has our, our best intent at art. And again, it goes back to the normal analogy. If I can help you in some way, I'm going to. And if there's this vast technology out there and this vast uh, intelligence and these beings that, that can do this, why didn't somebody come down and circumvent the government or circumvent the military or whatever and say, Hey, you know, here, yeah. What do you need? Let me, let me help you out here a little mm -hmm. bit, you know? Um, here, take this thing and build this and, and it'll cure cancer. You know, why isn't that available? And that's one question that always bothers me. It's like, uh, there shouldn't be a, uh, a lockdown on compassion and help, mm -hmm. you know, regardless of what the scenario is. One of the things that I've, I've asked that question to quite a few UFO uh, investigators and people who've had encounters and stuff like that. Right. 
And uh, one of the answers that I've read, have gotten is that just like in Star Trek, there's a prime directive to not interfere. Oh, that right, even right. though they're doing something good, the results for us could be bad. Yeah. I, you know, I've, I've heard that argument too, but I just, I can't buy it. I just can't believe it. I just, you know, because as, as vast as the intelligence and the capability is supposed to be, there's gotta be some way around that. Mm-hmm. And you, uh, you can't, you can't have compassion, no matter if you're human or non-human, you can't have compassion and look upon some person or society or world or situation in need and not want to do something about that to alleviate the suffering, uh, to help people in whatever capacity you can, that just, it it just can't be. It doesn't make any common sense. And, um, I think the, uh, you know, as, as you follow, uh, you know, UFO investigators and everything like I do, you've heard the argument. Now the, the major supposition, uh, even among the, the big UFO investigators is that, the uh, the head honcho of the extraterrestrials has come down to earth and made an agreement with our head honcho and uh, they're doing what they do and da, 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 and they're keeping that secret from us. Well, that sucks. I reached out to um, Laura Eisenhower because apparently this all happened with Eisenhower already came up right, with some kind right. of treaty Yes. And uh, I reached out to her to try to get her on my show, but I haven't heard back yet. Yeah. But I'm just going to keep trying to get her because. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that is a, um, one of those weird things, like where do you say that, uh, you know, we, we exchanged, allow them to abduct, abduct yeah. some of a certain amount of us. In return, we get technology. <laughs> now, yeah, exactly. Now, exactly. My, problem, my problem with that pers- personally is. What got me into UFOs was a long time ago, I worked at Bell Labs in New Jersey. And when I was working there, there was one of the scientists there. He was an older guy. I'm sure he's dead now. Right. Um, But I used to smoke cigarettes. I was outside smoking a cigarette. And he was smoking, I don't know, a pipe or some kind of crap. And um, he asked me, like, what I was doing. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm just, this was, I'm setting up computers, you know, and and, um, doing IT stuff. And he goes, well, you know, we got the technology for the silicone chip from Alien Craft. He goes, I, I wow. used to work for NASA, and that's what we did. We, we reversed, engineered that, and that's also right. how we got fiber optics. Wow. And at, at, for, at, at the time, I blew it off. I said, oh, this fucking yeah. this guy's, yeah. guy's crazy, you know. He's, <laughs> right. just, he's right. yanking right. my chain. And then I would say about a year or so later, Bob Lazar came out. Yes, and I was like, "Oh man, this guy oh, was wow. telling me the yeah. truth." <laughs> yep, absolutely, absolutely. Gary, I hate to ask for a break here. Can I have about thirty seconds, and I'll be right back? Ah, uh, sure. Yeah. Hold All on. right, I'm hold the pause. hold the fort down, and I'll be right back. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, that was my uh, my 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 first thing that actually got me into the, to the UFO thing. What was that? Right. You know. Um, I'll tell you what was funny, <clears throat> and this is uh, this is in writing with ghost. Uh, when I was young, I had had um, a plethora of paranormal experiences already, and I did not believe in UFOs. I had read all the literature, I had seen all the interviews, 
I had uh, even kind of sent a, a psychic bounce out there, a psychic <laughs> radar signal to see what I got back. And I did not believe in UFOs. For all the paranormal experiences I had, which were many, 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 I just didn't believe in UFOs. So uh, one day, I and this is when I'm, I'm growing up in West Texas, and I guess I was so uh, late teens, maybe early 20, 20, 21, maybe. Um, but uh, I had been to, uh, <laughs> to this, this building, and when I came out of the building, the, uh, my car was parked across the street in this parking lot. It was a little narrow two-lane street, and I could see my car in the parking lot across the street. It wasn't far to go. And when I came out the door, the first thing that hit me in the face and nearly slammed the door in my face was this huge gust of wind. And I thought, oh, okay, we're in for one of our typical West Texas thunderstorms or maybe even a tornado. We were in the tip end of a tornado alley. So uh, I said, all right. So I closed the door behind me and I started to walk to my car. And in the parking lot where my car was, directly by my car, was this cloud that had come down from the low clouds overhead in kind of a column and was resting down in the parking lot by my car. Now, you would expect all the debris around this cloud to be blowing all yeah. over and going crazy and all this. All the debris by the cloud was perfectly still. And the cloud was undulating and moving and rotating. And from within the cloud would come these orbs of color, red, yellow, blue, green. They would emerge from the cloud and then suck back into the cloud. I said, okay, I'm a young man. I'm, I'm relatively healthy for all my health problems but I've gone nuts. I've gone insane. That, that can be the only logical <laughs> explanation. And as I'm standing there, I get this stupid, bizarre urge to walk toward the parking lot, toward the cloud. So I take a few steps toward the cloud and the cloud advances in the parking lot toward me. And I walk backward a several steps and the cloud recedes back. I said, okay, that's, that's it. I'm, I'm gone. I'm nuts. I've gone over the edge at the, the tender young age. I am, but my life is over. I'm, I'm gone. <laughs> and this buddy of mine comes out of the building behind me. I'm standing so close to the door. He whacks me with it. And he goes, Oh man, sorry. He said, what are you doing? Standing so close to the door. And then he looks up and he says, Oh, wow. looks like we're in for a big storm. And then he looks over in the parking lot and he goes, man, what is that? I said, okay, I haven't gone over the edge because he sees it too. <laughs> I said, all right, watch this. So he's standing there and I take several steps toward the cloud and it advances toward me. I back up and the cloud backs up. I look at him and I said, isn't that the weirdest thing you ever saw? And he looks at me like I'm the weirdest thing he's ever seen. And he hightails it out of there. He says, bye, his car's in the other direction. He runs, he's gone. So I'm left with a weird cloud. And I'm like, okay, now what do I do? How do I get to my car? And about that time, the cloud lifts back up into the clouds overhead and it all begins to move over. All the clouds begin to move over. So I was like, wow, okay. So I, I go to my car and I'm looking at the sky and looking at the clouds and I'm like, what in God's name was that? So I get in, light a cigarette and I'm turning my radio station. I back out and I start going. And as I get out on the street, it starts to rain. Now in West Texas, it can rain. I mean, you know, it, I've seen it come down four inches in an hour, yeah. stuff like that, just, just crazy stuff. So um, it begins to rain, and it begins to rain unlike anything I've ever seen in my life. As I'm going down the street, it's raining so hard, 
I can barely see a couple of inches past the hood of my car. I've got the headlights on, I've got the wipers on high, they're not doing a darn bit of good against the, the rain that's pouring down. And there's cars that are angled parked on the street. And I said, my God, I'm, I'm gonna run into these, I can't see them. I can't see the cars that are angled parked on the street. So we get to a stoplight, I knew the last street I had passed, I knew the street up was Tuig Street. And uh, there was a stoplight there and we get there and I nearly hit the car in front of me because he was stopped for the light. He had managed to see it and stop. And I nearly hit his rear end. I was like, man, this is crazy. I'm, I'm going to hit somebody. Somebody's going to hit me. I don't know what to do. And the light changed and he saw it turn the corner and I turned the corner and I tried to stay as close on his bumper as I could. I wanted to use Tuig Street to, to get home anyways, to go back up to where I need to turn to get home. And, uh, the windshield wipers are on high, not doing a bit of good. I've got the lights on. I can barely see his bumper. I still can't see the cars that are angle parked out of the side on the side of the street. And uh, there was a Sears Roebuck store that we had there and the, uh, they had a parking lot in the back that, uh, that you could enter off to street. So I thought, well, if I can see to get into that parking lot, I'll get soaked to the bone instantly, but I'll jump out and I'll run into Sears. I'll go downstairs to the sporting goods department look at the sporting goods and wait the storm out and then I'll drive home when it's safer. So I'm driving along just, you know, foot on the brake, easing off occasionally to move slightly. And um, I, I lean over in the seat to look out the passenger window to try and see the cars that are angle park. And I still can't see them and I'm worried about sideswiping somebody or whatever. And as I'm leaned over that way, the rain instantly stops. Now, I don't mean it lets up or I don't mean it lets mm -hmm. off or I don't mean it slows down. One second, it's raining so hard, I can barely see a few inches beyond the hood of my car. One second later, there's not a drop of moisture in the air. Full visibility is returned. Uh, it's still overcast, but I mean, it's, it's like four in the afternoon, three or four in the afternoon. So still plenty of light and there's not a mist falling on my windshield. Full visibility is returned. I can see all the way down the street, look in my rearview mirror, see all the way behind me. I think, what in the world is this? So up ahead of me, um, the cars on the oncoming lane of traffic are now starting to honk and swerve. And some of them are running over into our lane and people are honking to keep from colliding with them. And cars are running askew at odd angles and people start rolling their windows down and pointing. And some people open up their car doors and jump out and point up to the sky. And being a good old West Texas boy, I said, oh my God, here it is. There's an F5 tornado and that's why the rains quit all of a sudden. Now we're all gonna be obliterated and I'm too damn young to die. So <laughs> I look up where they're pointing and right over the back of the Sears building, we're real close to the entrance mm -hmm. to the parking lot there. And right over the back of the Sears building, about 30 feet, maybe in the air, 30 to 50 feet, sits this silver craft, 30 to 50 feet in diameter, hovering over the Sears building. No smoke, no flames, no sound, no nothing. Just sitting there, just hovering there. And I literally, Gary, did a cartoon eye rub. I literally did a cartoon eye rub <laughs> and looked back up and yep, there it sits. So I started to get out of my car like everybody else was doing. And I reached over and touched my door handle and the UFO moved just so imperceptibly slightly. You could just barely see it move. And as it moved, 
the clouds lowered down, came from behind it, covered it over, and one second later, the rain was back in the same full intensity that it had been. So this guy that was in front of me, he, I crept along on his bumper and he turned into the parking lot, the Sears parking lot. And at this stage of the game, I was like, I don't care if I wreck him. I don't care if my insurance cancels me. I don't care what happens. I'm going to follow this guy and I'm going to ask him, did he see what I just saw? Because I still couldn't believe it. So <clears throat> he pulls in, <clears throat> excuse me, he pulls into the parking lot. I pull in as close to him as I can without sideswiping his car. I see his dome light come on, so I know he's jumped out. So I jump out and the rain hurts. It's coming down so hard, it literally hurts. And I'm having to shield my eyes to run and I run as fast as I can. And the Sears store back then had a vestibule inside mm -hmm. and down the stairs, went down to the basement. Then you opened up another set of double doors, went into the main store. So I ran inside and he's standing there on the, the big carpet where you, you, um, you know, wipe your feet off and he's just standing there and he's staring down at the carpet. I remember he wore glasses and uh, his glasses were beaded with water and he was dripping water. Of course I was dripping water and he was just standing there staring down. I walked around in front of him and he looked up and recognized I was there. And I said, did you see what I just saw? And he looked at me and he said, yeah, but I damn sure ain't going to tell nobody. And with that, he sidestepped me and, and walked into the store and I went down the basement, looked at the sporting goods. <laughs> and back then, and especially in West Texas, if you told somebody you believed in ghosts or UFOs or whatever, you were touched in the head. You were yeah. nuts. You were crazy. You'd lose your job or people make fun of you forever. So thus his response. Yeah, but I damn sure ain't going to tell nobody. Wow. So with that experience, I had to change my religion. I had to acknowledge, okay, there it was, it's real. You know, Judy and other people saw it before I did and saw it as I did mm -hmm. and uh, no mistaking what I saw. Um, so that was, uh, that was the, the very first UFO experience I've had. And I've had several since then. I document some of those in the book and uh, it's, it's an amazing thing. But again, you know, my question is, okay, guys, who are you? You know, show yourselves, come, come do something, help us out. If you're this far advanced, uh -huh. uh, you know, if you're this capable, we need a little help down here. You know, give us, give us some guidance, give us some help. What do you think they want? I have no clue. I have no idea. I've sent some, some psychic signals out trying to figure that out or trying to get some, mm -hmm some information as to why, and I haven't gotten anything that I could hang my hat on. What do you think and, about uh, people that say the <clears throat> are psychically communicating with Syrians and Pleiadians and Arcturians? Do you think they're actually making contact with uh, extraterrestrial beings psychically, or do you think uh, maybe they're just being tricked? I think they're self-deluded. Um, the mind, the human mind, is incredibly creative. If you and I want to invent a brand new language right here, right now on the spot, mm -hmm. uh, Blarfico means spoon. <laughs> and then you're going to say, oh, Barflinko Nez means spoon with food in it. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, okay, Barflinko Nez Paz means I just took a bite of food with a spoon. So our minds are incredibly inventive. We can come up with all kinds of things. We can convince ourselves that all kinds of things are true when they're not. My 
problem with a lot of these supposed communications is twofold. One, the things I've experienced are real. They happen on the physical realm. We've taken pictures of them. We've recorded them by video and by audio. Right. Other people have witnessed them. They have literally, physically, actually occurred. So if you're going to have paranormal manifestation, it has to be something that people can agree, yeah, this actually happens on the physical realm. Mm -hmm. And you have to ascertain some meaning to it. And there has to be some something there that does some good for somebody. John moving to the far left lane. Okay, now that's practical. The second problem I have, well, the, the, going back to the first problem, these people don't have anything to give you. There's no physical manifestation. There's no physical help. There's no John moving to the left lane. The second thing that bothers me is, it's like the Seth Speaks books and the trance mediums and this that, and the other. If you lay them all out side by side, it's the same palaver over and over and over. Um, the student is ready and the teacher appears and I live in a plane that you don't recognize and I'll try and describe it to you, but you can't understand. And I don't have a name, but you can give me a name. And the world is all protons and electrons and neutrons. And when you understand how to synthesize and then bull, <laughs> you know, if you take your car to the mechanic mm -hmm. and say, man, my, it's knocking and it's backfiring and then it stalls out and he goes, well, you're not at one with the car. When you become one with the car, you'll understand. Oh, fix my car, man. So that's the problem I have with these people and their messages from the Space Brothers and all this stuff. It's the same stuff you hear over and over and over and over and you can't apply it. You can't do anything with it. There's no meaning to it. And why? Well, because you're not ready to accept. And when you're ready to understand, you baloney, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, if I'm out homeless on the street and Gary walks by, and I, he looks at me and says, Hey man, how long since you had something to eat? <laughs> Two days, here's 20 bucks, go get a meal that I can deal with. That's something <laughs> real, you know? So that's, that's the problem I have with all this high-minded nonsense. Uh -huh is that it doesn't produce anything. It doesn't give you anything. It doesn't teach anything that actually works in the physical realm. And what I have done over the years works in the physical realm. I have healed people. Mm -hmm. Now I've got numerous health problems. I can't do a damn thing with, but I have healed people. Um, I have given people concrete predictions that have come true. I've given them advice that has improved their lives. So there's something real there. There's something positive there. There's something that manifests in reality that helps people. And all this other stuff is a bunch of mumbo jumbo nonsense that doesn't do anything, doesn't produce anything and just keeps people guessing and keeps people, uh, you know, there are various pseudo religions that do that and you pay more and more and eventually the truth is revealed to you, you know? And so that's a problem I have with a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand. I, like some of it does seem like religion to me also. Yeah, and, exactly. Um, and then there's some that I I have to uh, at least I'm open to understanding. Like there's certain things like like Madame Blavatsky's work, you right. know, some of that I have to be open to. 
Um, yeah, try, try everything, test everything. That's the thing. Test everything, mm -hmm. and uh, and if it works, fantastic. Hold on to it. But if it doesn't, chunk it. You know, don't don't be uh, don't don't fall for the well. You know, one more course or or you know one more contact or one more this or that. You'll understand or you'll get or whatever. I nah bull. <laughs> But, but that sort of just brings me like the full circle. It's go, it comes back to listening to that voice inside. Yeah. Because exactly. that's what knows the truth. You that's know? it. That's if, it. If, if that voice says, this is just BS. BS. Yeah. And I know it's BS. If, if my voice says, man, maybe. You know, there yeah. might be something here, you know, listen. Let's check it out. And, you, and know? you know, make people do what they say they can do. You know, like I, I remember one time, uh, we became aware of the, through a friend of ours of this person that supposedly could set ice cream on fire with the power of his mind. <laughs> well, the first, the first thing that I thought of was, what are you doing? Sit around eating a bowl of ice cream? What that damn you ice cream burn? You know, where, where do you come up with this nonsense to begin with? And, and the second thing was, okay, I want to meet this person. I'll buy the pint of ice cream at the store and I'll bring it. And give it to him, let's see him set it on fire. Well, no, 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 you know, there's always some reason why something can't work, you know. And so that's a, that's when your BS detector should go off right there as well. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, he can do it under certain conditions, but not anyway. Yeah, come on. It's so, like uh, uh, I, my, 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 my day job is making orange juice. And I always make a joke that, uh, that, that my goal is to one day is to turn the juice back into an orange. <laughs> <laughs> and become the juicomancer. <laughs> become the. <laughs> I love that. That's great. That's great. <clears throat> Absolutely. That's but good. then, I, and I think also in examining things, we have to be careful that we we don't go. We can't be so open minded that we're gullible. Yeah. But we we also can't be so closed minded that we don't investigate for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And one example of that is. Uh, I met Uri Geller, the famed Israeli. Oh, scientist. yeah, the guy who bent Spoonbender. Yes, I met Uri mm -hmm. and uh, corresponded with him, met him. Uh, he has given me an endorsement for both of my books. I still am in contact with him, and uh, I saw one of his demonstrations. And I can tell you beyond any shadow of a doubt, Uri's the real deal. And anybody who doesn't believe it, go ask the CIA. Because Uri has on his website a statement the CIA provided that said, yeah, this guy did it. Mm. <laughs> He's the real deal. He performed under test conditions, and we can vouch for that. Mm -hmm. Our own CIA said that. But I was on a, um, a podcast, and they had a live chat uh, live chat segment uh, going on while the podcast was going. And, and one of the people wrote, you know, I was really impressed with this guy. I was really digging what he said until he mentioned Uri, and everybody knows Uri's a fraud, so I'm off of it now. And it's like, you know, he accepted the consensus that because everybody said, mm -hmm. instead of bothering to find out for himself whether that's true or not, you know, and that's the other thing that we, we can't swing so far the other way that we don't investigate for ourselves and find out what that truth is. Uh, I love that quote. We have to, we have to be willing to follow the truth no matter where it leads us. Yeah. I... And, and I think that's the, uh, the great thing. And it's like, what was so funny? You know, uh, the amazing Randy, the magician, when he was mm -hmm. alive, he made it his life's mission to destroy Uri Geller. And uh, the descriptions that him and other critics gave of Uri's spoon bending performances 
were so far removed from the truth. When I went and saw his demonstration, he did mm -hmm. a, a spoon bending performance and he dumped out a bag of spoons on the table. And he said, somebody from the audience, come up and pick one. And somebody did. And he said, try and bend it. And they bent it and it was solid. And, they, and then he took it from them, whacked it on the table and so on and so forth. That's solid. And then he took it by the very, very, very tip end of the handle mm -hmm. and up by the bowl of the spoon, he put his finger on it and he stroked it so lightly that the spoon didn't even bow downward when he stroked it <laughs> and it began to bend. And then he took his finger off the spoon and just rubbed it above the handle of the spoon by the bowl and the spoon continued to uh -huh. bend. So the reality of what he did was so far removed from the skeptic's description of, oh, he does these violent manipulations and these these pre-bent magic tricks and all this stuff. It was so far removed from that that it wasn't even close. Uh -huh. So we can't be gullible. And at the same time, we have to be open enough to say, okay, let, let me investigate this. Mm -hmm. Is it or is it not? You know. And, I had I interviewed uh, Mark Ireland, and his father was Richard Ireland. His father oh, yeah. was the guy who would like, you know, like duct tape his dot his eyes closed and right, be able to right. give people serial numbers off of dollar bills. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and, and I, I mean, and he was like, like he was the real deal. And in fact, when I when I first guy first interviewed me, I looked up his dad. And I said, I remember seeing him on TV. Mm -hmm. On the same show with Yuri Geller, right? <laughs> they were, right. They were yeah. both on the same show at the same time when I was a kid. And there, there are magicians that are able to do these things. And my contention is always, I said, well, you know, look, I, um, any any good magician can do this. Well, just because a magician can duplicate it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist in the real world. Exactly. It doesn't mean that it's not real. That it, that it you know. So yeah, you can you can duplicate a lot of things, but it doesn't mean that it isn't real, that it doesn't actually happen. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where we have to go in our in our mindset with things is that okay, yeah, but let me examine it, let me look and see. And like with Uri, uh, I love magic my entire life. David Copperfield was my big hero. I remember him. And so I knew enough magic to watch what Uri was doing and see if there was any ledger domain involved, and there was none. And uh, so I think that, you know, educate yourself, go and see for yourself, examine for yourself. And if people are promising you fantastic things that don't occur, bail out, you know, <laughs> don't keep contributing money. Don't keep going. Don't sell the farm and, and give the funds to them. Right. Get the heck out of there. You know, right. if somebody says I can lay down by a wall, put my feet on the wall and walk straight up that wall from a laying down position and, and rise up as high as you want me to. Mm -hmm. Okay, do it. If you can do it, all right, hallelujah, I'm in, I'm there, you know? And uh, and if not, bail out, get right. out of there and, and don't, you know, continue to believe in things that are misleading. We have so many scams, people don't understand. It's not just our credit cards that get hacked and it's not just people <laughs> that send us emails and say, you know, uh, I'm from Amazon and da, 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 da. It's not just that. It's also in the spiritual realm that organized religions scam us, psychics scam us, mm -hmm. people scam us. I, I watched this deal one time when we uh, lived in New York still. And uh, there was a, um, it was 60 minutes or 48 hours, one of those, one of those TV programs. And there was a guy on there talking about the phony psychics. And uh, my wife had asked me one time, we were walking the streets in Manhattan and there was a sign in the window, 
of a brownstone, $10 special reading. Mm -hmm. And she said, now, she said, I know what you charge for your readings. I know what you pay in taxes. I know what your expenses are. I know how much you make, which is nothing. And she, <laughs> she said, how in the world can these people live in a New York brownstone, charge $10 for a reading and make money? And I said, because they don't. The $10 is to get you in the door. And then it's, oh, God, I see this evil around you. And those, I don't know, and it's going to take thousands of dollars to get rid of that. So there was this, this new special on TV. Uh, this, I think it was the Attorney General of New York at the time, was talking about a lot of these phony psychics would make anywhere from a quarter million to half million dollars a year, minimum, profit, clear. And it was doing the $10 special ratings and they get you in there and they hook you in and they go on from there. Mm -hmm. And so the interviewer was asking me, he said, you know, why don't you prosecute these people? He said, well, most of them operate under a phony name. They're, we've never known their real name. We'll never know their real name. They change identities. They move frequently, um, you know, so on and so forth. And uh, if, most of the people get taken or too ashamed to come forward and say, Hey, this, this person built me out of $15,000, <clears> excuse me. And then thirdly, if I'm working a, a, you know, case of one of these phony psychics and a serial killer case comes across my desk, out goes your phony psychic case. You know, this has the priority, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm sorry. So, uh, that that's the case with the phony psychics and the problems with, with dealing with them. And we saw one of the, um, the phony psychics that they had caught on camera on this show and she had shut down and moved. And my wife and I took a vacation, went to Atlantic city and we were out on the boardwalk. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and I looked across the way and here she was coming out of her little storefront, special $10 <laughs> reading. And I told my wife, I said, look, 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 so she had just up and moved and went to a different place. And, uh, but in the course of my career, I have had, I can't tell you how many people that have come to me and have fallen prey to these phony psychics. And they're like, John, you know, I'm, I'm educated. I have several degrees. I have my own business and I fell prey to this person for $20,000, $30,000, $50,000, whatever. And I've had to rescue them, tell them what was wrong, how to get out of it, why uh, they were susceptible and so on and so forth. And these people are called confidence artists, con artists, confidence artists, because they know how to gain your confidence. Mm -hmm. They're expert at reading people and manipulating people and, and, uh, and doing these things. And what most people don't realize is these phony psychics will do sleight of hand magic. And it's just like when you watch a stage magician and he says, pick any lemon you want out of here after your dollar bill has disappeared and you pick a lemon and he cuts it open and your dollar bills inside. Well, these phony psychics will do the same thing. And the most popular thing is to bring out a bowl of eggs, choose an egg. Well, you crack the egg open and, oh my God, there's some black slithery things in it that looks like a snake and look, you're cursed and there's evil. And we're going to have to do this thing to get this curse off of you. And there it goes. And to the uninitiated, it looks like a physical paranormal miracle has occurred. Mm -hmm. And to somebody that's been down to the library and bought the basic book on magic, they realize what's happened, but not many people do that. So, um, that's what you have to contend with there. And uh, man, it just, that's, that's one of my missions in life is to reveal this stuff and to defeat these phonies and frauds and to liberate people from this and to, um, you know, to keep them from getting caught up in this mess because it is, it's a huge thing. Yeah. It's sad. Sad to it see people sad. fall victim sad. to that. Yeah. 
you know. And and, and also one of the things that, that that I like or I, I I lean to towards is um psychics that will say like that encourage other that encourage their clients to follow their own intuition. Oh, absolutely. Rather than re- to, to to rely on on them yeah. and their power, yeah. you know. I tell my my clients all the time. I say, look, we've got. I used to do longer readings. Now I limit them to thirty minutes. And I say, look, we've got thirty minutes. We're not solving the world's problems. I'm going to give you enough tools and enough predictions, enough insights to get where you need to be. And then I'm going to recommend to you that you go buy some books, not mine but books that I know from fellow authors that have tools and techniques that absolutely work if you'll apply them. And I tell them, go get these books, apply this. This is just the beginning. This opens the door, continue this process and use these tools and techniques to make your life better. And down the road when you need to holler Mm -hmm. at me, I'll be here again. But a lot of this is you connecting with the other side directly and learning to say, okay, here I am, what I need to do today, you know? And then following through on that. Right. And that's what I try and point clients toward. Um, there's clients I've refused to read for over the years. Mm-hmm. They'd, they'd pay me and call me up and say, man, I got, I listened to them a little bit. And I said, no, you don't need a reading. You need to do this and I'm refunding your money. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just, there's, there's people I've refused to read for. They didn't need a reading. They just right. needed some common sense advice that took one or two, three sentences and, you know, and that's it. So mm-hmm. we have to learn to, you know, and obviously because of my gifts and because of my skills, I can see things and perceive things that other people cannot. So granted, yeah, somebody can call me up and say, hey, look, I got this business deal. I don't know about this guy. I can't trust my intuition on this. What do you see? Happy to do that. And, and that's necessary. Yeah. But in that process, I try and encourage people to learn how to develop their own intuition, their own skills, their own insights and abilities. And uh, that's... Uh, you know, that's, that's something the phonies won't do. They'll reel you in for as long as they can for as much money as you got. Right. They're not going to tell you, why you just stop and listen? Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Exactly right. Just stop and listen. Get quiet and listen. There it is. You know? Exactly right. Uh, well, this has been a pleasure talking to you. I had a, this is a great interview. Thank you for Oh, Gary, uh, I've enjoyed it so much. This is a blast. I hope you have me back again, man. Oh, this you're is welcome back anytime. Anytime. I appreciate it. I appreciate um, it. So before we wrap it up, um, just one more time, where can my listeners find you? Okay, you can go to johnrussell.net. Russell is with two S's and two L's, R-U-S-S-E-L-L. johnrussell.net is if you want to get a psychic reading. And I have over 80 client testimonials there. I've got my media appearances, my media testimonials about me and so on and so forth. You can learn way more than you'll ever want to know about me on my website. <laughs> so that's if you want a reading, johnrussell.net. And if you want to buy my book, you can go to writingwithghosts.net. And it's got links on there to buy the book at Amazon, uh, Books Million, uh, Barnes & Noble, a bunch of other on- online booksellers. You can just go directly to Amazon, enter the, uh, the title. It'll come up there for you. It's available in paperback and Kindle uh, at Barnes & Noble. It's available in paperback and Nook, um, so you can read it on, you know, as an e-reader, or you can read it in paperback. Uh, also on Amazon, for a lot of people, I say, well, do you have a uh, a uh, audio book? And those are super expensive to produce, so I don't. But the neat thing is, if you have, <laughs> if you bought the Kindle version at Amazon, mm-hmm. and you have an Echo device, you can say, Alexa, uh, read "Riding with Ghosts, Angels, and the Spirits of the Dead," and Alexa will read it to you over the Echo device. And if you have Alexa on your phone, 
you can ask her to read it to you on your phone and, and she'll read it to you there. So it's available that way, so you can do that. And then I have to mention, I have just finished my second book, which is A Knock in the Attic, More True Paranormal Experiences, but this goes back from my childhood uh, to when those experiences occurred and explains how they happened and how my life developed and led up to the point that I became a professional psychic and paranormal investigator and so on and so forth. And in this book, for the very first time ever, I talk about um, the, uh, I write about the experience of shooting the pilot for the, uh, the History Channel mm -hmm. and a lot of other neat things. So it's in the second galley proof now, and we'll go back to the publisher approved soon and hopefully we'll be out maybe the end of this month, sometime in March. So it'll be coming awesome. up soon. And I'll have information for that on the websites as well. Great. Well, I'll post yeah. these links to your websites and your books on Amazon in the notes of this episode. So when right. people are right. listening, they can just pop into the notes and, and buy your book. There and you go. To your website. And, and they'll enjoy it. It's, it's, it's some, some adventures are spine chilling, but uh, you're going to have fun. You're going to laugh. You're going to cry. You're going to learn some things. It's an eye-opening romp through the paranormal. And like I say, it is unique. And even the publishers and the readers agree. I have had so many readers say, I have read, I can't tell you how many paranormal books, and I have never read anything <laughs> like this. So that, that makes me happy. That throws me. So I know people will enjoy it. Awesome. Well, this has been a pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Uh, Gary, I appreciate it. Look forward to doing it again. You take care, man. You too. Just hang on one second. I just got to play the outro. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.